Hey, beautiful mama, and welcome to Bell and Beyond. I'm your podcast host, Katie, a mama of one little legend, Hunter, and we have been on the most wild health journey ever. My son was born and diagnosed with a cleft lip, and I want to share with you how I was empowered through it all. This podcast is for mums or soon-to-be mums and dads. Feel free to jump in too. It's a place to debunk the many motherhood myths that leave us feeling confused, lost, and misguided. I want you, Mama, to walk away from every episode feeling empowered and educated to make choices that feel right for you and your family. My heart is to see mamas connecting back to their roots and being exposed to ancient wisdom with modern day education. I'll be bringing you open and real conversations around topics we are not talking about enough with people passionate about seeing you, Mama, thrive from the belly and beyond. Welcome back to another episode of Bell and Beyond. I hope you guys are loving Posterior Awareness Week. We have a double episode this week. This is episode two coming out from an incredible woman called Beck. Now, she's the co-owner of Peaches Pilates, which is based in New South Wales. They've got four studios in four different locations. They've got an online program. She is a beautiful family gal with her new baby, Hunter, which is quite cute because, as you know, my baby's called Hunter. So I just love that we both went to the same Pilates studios. Obviously, I was there for when it first opened in Maroubra locally to me. And now we both have a little boy called Hunter, which is super, super cute. Beck also has her firstborn little boy, Huxtable, which is her spoodle, her dog, who she absolutely adores. And Hunter's obviously like, taken some of that attention which is super super funny i've seen hucks around peaches pilates here in marubra he basically is the whole heart of the place he is literally a walking baby dog he is crazily cute now beck is incredible she's been a pilates instructor for many years she worked out of her garage and then co-owned peaches pilates which is amazing impact around australia at the moment Now, I'm really excited. You're going to love what Beck has to share. She's real honest, open and raw about her journey, about her labor, about how things took a flip that she wasn't expecting, what it was like having Hunter being posterior for part of her labor, how the labor ended up going and how there were so many things that she actually couldn't control and she just trusted her medical team around her kept a really positive attitude but also there was some things that she had to process and face and how she reduces her expectations as a mom and just really nurtured and cared for herself even as a business owner transitioning into that new season of motherhood so I know you're going to really love her honest vulnerable and raw self she's a beautiful person and I know this is going to either really impact mums and create more awareness around posterior birth but I think it's also going to connect with mums that maybe had a labor like hers and just let you know that you're not the only one out there that's been through that experience so let's get right into it Beck from Peaches, welcome. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, your Pilates instructor, and a top mama tip. Okay. Hi, guys. I am Beck. I'm 32 years old, and I am one of the co-owners of Peaches Pilates. We have four Pilates studios across New South Wales, I can say now, um, and we've got one in Bondi Beach, or Bondi, uh, Maroubra, Cronulla, and we've recently just opened one up in Byron Bay um, during my labour is actually when we signed the lease. And we also have an online program where we have women in over 40 countries, close to 50 countries now who 
are able to do Pilates with us online. So I also am now a family family gal. I've got a beautiful, amazing family. There's myself, my boyfriend, well, fiance, I should say. I'm still not used to that. Brett and Mr. Huxtable, my little Hux, my Spoodle, who's our firstborn, and now gorgeous Hunter. Which is so hilarious that we both have a kid called Hunter. <laughs> I know. It's a good, strong name. It is such an awesome name. I love that. Well, thank you. Um, so why I'm really excited to have Beck on today is because, and you'll see how I've shared about this episode, is her posterior baby with a flip. She, her little baby Hunter was a little flipper and it was doing all sorts of flipping around in her belly. So Beck, tell us a little bit about your birth and also throughout your story, just share with us how you were actually not fully aware about your baby going posterior. You were obviously more worried about him being breech. Um, yeah. So tell us a little bit about it. Okay. So yeah, I fell pregnant with Hunter during COVID and was kind of, I've always been a very go with the flow kind of kind of gal. I've been around a lot of pregnancies. Um, so I wasn't reading too much into anything really. And I've always, even before falling pregnant, had the mentality that like, what will be, will be. Don't set any expectations of how birth will go because you never know what's going to happen. And yeah, during my pregnancy, up until about 28 weeks, Hunter remained in a breached position. So I was more aware of like, breech positionings and I was a breached baby until the last minute myself so I didn't really focus on posterior I had a little amount of knowledge that it was spine on spine and that it can be a really painful way to labor and then once I hit about my 39 40 week mark and I hadn't had hunter I started to get acupuncture and the lady who did my acupuncture was also a midwife and Hunter was facing out onto my side, so to my left side, and she just kind of gave me a heads up and she's like, well, he's going to have to turn one way or the other and he's either going to turn face down or turn face up into a posterior position. And I was like, yeah, okay, cool. You know, what will be, will be. And I did do a little bit of research after that just to kind of give myself a few tricks up my sleeve in case he did turn posterior for different movements in labor. So like swaying of the hips and the ball and things like that. And then at about 40 weeks and four or five days overdue, I was lying in bed and then I got woken up by, you know, those few little cramps down below. And I was like, Oh, I haven't really had this. Like they were different from the tightening sensations that I was getting which felt like a sign that there was just no more room for Hunter to grow in. That was at about 1am on the Friday morning. I started to get those, those period pains and I left Brett in bed because I was just like, I don't know what's going to happen and just kind of got up. And I remember being like, just kind of go back to bed, like see how you can cope. But in my head, I knew I was like, this is it. This is, this is going to be the day. So I just got up on the couch and got my little heat pack. and I put Remember the Titans on my favorite movie and just kind of sat and waited and wasn't really like zoning in on the movie because I was just in my head being like don't get too in the zone now like this is early days and at about 5 a.m I went into the bedroom and I said to Brett I was like I think it's game day I'm pretty sure this is it and he was like really I said but you stay in bed I knew he had to work that day 
was like, you stay in bed and I'll just keep you posted. And I think he stayed in bed for about half an hour and then he came out and yeah, the contractions just kind of started getting a little bit more intense, but they were still so far apart and no consistency whatsoever. So to take my mind off it at about eight o'clock, we went for a walk and we went and got breakfast down, you would know at Caitlin McKeon Street in Maroubra. And it was, yeah, it was peak hour and my contractions started to get a little bit more intense. So we were sitting down, I was having Vegemite on toast and people were walking past that I knew and they're like, oh, it should be any day now. And I'd be like mid mild contraction, just being like, yeah, any day, any day now. And we got out of there pretty quickly. I saw every man and his dog down there and I was like, we need to get out of here. So we went home and that's when I just kind of started to pull the tools out that I I had up my sleeve. So we had the ball, I had my heat pack, had the TENS machine that was gifted to me by a neighbor, but I didn't get that out yet because I I didn't need it. And lunchtime, things started to like get a little bit more intense. And that's when I put the TENS machine on. My mum came over. She was in my, the only part of my plan was to have Brett and mum there. So she came. And yeah, the day just kind of continued on and things got a little bit more intense. I really worked on my breathing towards the afternoon at about five o'clock. I switched from the TENS machine and got into the shower for a little bit, which really helped. My kind of goal was to just exhaust all tools and then go on to the next one rather than using everything within an hour. So then it was time for the shower and at about... 6.30, like I'd spoken to my midwife and she just kept saying, keep an eye on the time. Contractions got to about four minutes apart and I called my midwife and she was like, just wait till they're like two, three minutes apart. And I was like, no, I I think I want to come in. Like there's the car ride that we've got to get through as well. And I was just ready to, to take the next step. And so we got in the car and no one talks about the car ride, by the way. It's literally hell. It's hell. waiting to get in the car like Brett got the gear then we were standing in the driveway and there was a guy it was like I think it was about eight seven thirty eight o'clock at night and there was a guy in the driveway just waiting for an uber and I'm just bent over the car having a contraction oh. while he's watching me and it's like you know doing those heavy like breathing <laughs> sounds and then I always in my head and I knew before going in but like during my pregnancy I just had this thought that like why isn't there a back entrance to the hospital like why do you have to walk through the foyer walk past people like I remember just like walking past people having a cup of tea and then I'd stop halfway and and have my contraction because by that point they're about three four minutes apart anyway we got there and I requested the birthing suite at that point because I was I thought I was dealing with the contractions quite well and I wasn't in any kind of state of mind to need any third painkillers other than the gas because I knew the gas was there. So we got into the birthing suite and I was checked by a midwife who wasn't my midwife that was going to be delivering Hunter, but she was in another birth at the time. So another beautiful midwife came and met me and she examined me and I was five centimetres when I got there. And they were like, yeah, you're halfway. Um, in my head, I was like, halfway? What do you mean? I said that. Um, I said that. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> you guys are happy. You're not doing this. And so halfway, then I was really just wanting to get back into the shower. I was loving the heat 
on my body. And then I also asked for the gas. I was like, I'm going to, I've heard the gas is great. I'm going to give this a go. And so I got in the shower and waited for the gas, went through a few contractions. Then the gas came and the gas was amazing. Game changer. I was like, oh, this is great. Contractions still all in the front, all like really heavy, heavy period type of pains, that pulling sensation, tightening sensation. And then I remember it so clearly and actually Lauren, another instructor that you've interviewed as well, brought brought back my memory of, I remember vomiting in the shower um, and I didn't know this was a thing, but the ha- same thing happened to her. I vomited and a couple of moments later, the pain literally went from the front into the back, like debilitating pain, just this sharp, agonizing knee buckling pain. And before I go on, I don't want this to be like a horror story. And I don't want people like listening to be like, oh God, I I never want to give birth. This is just what happened to me. And this is how I'm describing posterior birth. But the pain just like axing in the back and so persistent, there is no break between contractions and labor. Um, contractions and that break between contractions, sorry. So, you know, when you get that, you know, one minute break between your contractions and you've got that time to kind of gather your breath and, and get ready for the next one, it's just persistent and consistent and bloody excruciating. And it just got worse and worse. And my breathing started going off because I kind of really started to suck and inhale on that gas to a point where sometimes I would hyperventilate on it. And then I asked to be examined again. And they're like, no, you don't need to be examined for a couple of hours. I was like, please examine me. I think being a Pilates instructor, I'd really, I go well with progress. So if I had crossed a certain mark in my head, I'd be like, okay, now we just need to get to here. But not knowing where I was at, I yep. just, yeah, you know, that feeling of just like, give me the next goal. And she checked me and I was only another centimeter dilated. And that's when I looked up and the pain and the checking was so painful because if you are laboring posterior, their spine is on your spine. So to lay on your back for an internal is like, I can't even, I've got goosebumps thinking about it again. So all I wanted to do was lean with my forearms and be bent over. Um, and I remember just looking up at everyone and I just said like, I really think I need, I need more help. I, I want the epidural and everybody being super supportive and knowing that I wanted to give like natural, a good nudge. So yeah. like, you're doing so well, you can do this. And I just like shook my head and I could see in my midwife's eyes, even though she was being super supportive and really encouraging that she could tell that something had changed in my description when I was describing where the pain was. And then she kind of said, okay, well, I'm going to go and have to talk to the doctor, order the, the epi. Are you sure you want this? And I was like, yes, like I'm, I need it. And so she left and we ran a bath during that time to see if that would help. And then I could change my mind if the bath helped if I didn't want the epi, but I literally got in the bath and it had nothing to do with the contractions. It was just that spinal pain was just taking over my whole mind. It was taking over my breathing. I just couldn't get a break. So we made our way to the delivery suite once I got out of the bath and the epi was booked and walked through from the birthing center over to the delivery suite. So I could have all the catheter and IV put in and and all of that. And 
we had to wait for the epidural for over an hour because the doctor was in an emergency C-section with a lady who had to go under general. So she couldn't leave that situation to come and deal with me. (laughs) So that hour, that's when things, that's pretty much the part of the labor that I remember. And I try not to focus on remembering that part of the labor so much because it was fucked up. Like that's when I'm sure you've heard labor sometimes being quite like animalistic, you know, you, you turn into like this kind of beast mode, like, especially when you're waiting for the drugs and depending on where the pain is, but I was bent over the hospital bed and I couldn't sit. There was no sitting down for me. And I was in a squatting position and the pressure down, there was so much pressure down into my vagina that every time a contraction would come, it would enhance the spinal pain. All I kept wanting to push and they kept saying, don't push, don't push. But that's all my body wanted to do. And that's when my my waters broke. And when I say broke, I mean exploded. Like my waters went everywhere like we will the mum was wiping like the monitors you know just because they just like bounced off the floor like a water bomb (laughs) that happened to you mine exploded (laughs) from one side of the bathroom to the other like literally erupted (laughs) like a water bomb and James was like he literally went what was that and he just like turned his head he's like (laughs) I was so relieved because the pressure was so hard when it came out I was like oh my gosh I feel like I've needed to shit for like the last three hours a hundred percent it was like I didn't even really process that it had happened I was just like was that my waters or they asked me what had happened anyway that happened and that's when I actually wasn't told at the time but that's when my midwife had noticed that there was meconium So Hunter had also pooed inside of me. And then that's when things started to move a little bit more quickly. It wasn't long after that, that the uh, doctor came in and gave me the quickest rundown of an epidural and the side effects and all of that kind of stuff. And when I talk, when I say quick, I mean, she was like, and I don't think it was so much because I was in pain. I think it was because they were aware that Hunter was now posterior and that there had been, there's meconium. But in my head, it was the way that their bedside manner was, which was incredible, was that she was just really trying to help me get out of pain, which she was as well. She could have told me I'd never be able to walk again. And I would have said, like, give me the epidural. (laughs) And so we did. She gave me the epi. I was also examined just before that while I was having my catheter put in. And then once I had the epi, I asked them, can I get another examination? And my midwife was like, we examined you when you had the catheter put in. I was like, oh, how, how far along, like how much longer? And she's like, you're actually 10 centimeters. So the pressure that was put on my body dilating was I went from six centimeters to 10 centimeters within an hour. So my body like was ready for it. It just nothing was moving, nothing was happening. And I just showed you a photo of Hunter before. Like when you see the size of his head, you're going to know why nothing was happening. Then once I had the epi thing. Like it literally started... makes me think of like a big ball stuck in a drain pipe. Like it doesn't matter how much yeah. pressure is behind it. It is not budging. Like 
I know, no budging out of this guy. Once I had the epi, I had obviously you have to lay down, you can't stand up. That's when things also started to kind of shift because laying on my back meant his heart heart rate would drop. But to have all the tests with the ultrasounds and to see where he's at and where he's sitting, I'd have to lay on my back to do it, but they could only do it laying on my side. Um, And I kind of just became a little bit of a blur. Like I thought we were going to have a bit of a sleep because Jane was like, now that you've had the epi, you can have a little bit of a rest. And she left the room, dimmed the lights and within 20 minutes walked back in. And I think they have like a monitor that's attached to them. If the heart rate drops or something, they can come back in. And next thing you know, Jane walked in and she's like, okay, we're going to have to do this. And then next thing you know, an OB walked in, her assistant walked in, a baby doctor walked in, like a ped walked in, their assistant walked in. And within like 10 minutes, there was, including myself, Brett, mum, midwife and the doctors, there was like 10 or 12 people in the room. My legs were sitting up and they were talking about all my different options. So it was either a forcep delivery, a... It was too late for a C-section because he was quite far down where he was, but that could have also been an option as well. All the changes happened when he decided to rotate the right way. So had he been stuck and staying in that posterior position, we would have gone into theatre and done everything by procedure, whether it had been a C-section or whether they had done the forceps just because of his posterior position. But he literally flipped last minute. And that's when it was game time. They're like, you're having him here. You're going to have a baby right now. And yeah, Layla was my OB and I will never, ever forget the experience that she gave me. Like it was a horrible, sterile kind of entrance into the world. Like looking around, it was very, very medical. There was lots of doctors around. My legs were just like wide open. I felt like I was a piece of art that people were just coming to look at. Um <laughs> Art is putting it nicely, (laughs) but she was incredible. She had a hand on my leg and she was just talking me through the procedure. Um, Then she got the forceps out and they put them inside me because he was so far in. It wasn't just like push, push, then use the forceps to get him out. They had to basically do all the work for me where they put the forceps inside me and then pull have a rest, pull, have a rest. I think it took them about four or five goes to pull him out. He was so wedged in there. And that's after half an hour of me pushing to help get him out as well. And then he arrived. I was also cut twice during that process. And I can remember hearing that. I remember hearing that very well. And he came out and they put him on me straight away uh, because I was so lucky that he cried straight away which is such a beautiful, beautiful sign. And they put him on me and then within seconds they just took him off me and they had to check him because of the meconium. And I had mum on one side and I just like looked at Brett and and pushed him away. Mum made the announcement, it's a boy. And like Brett just looked and it was, we didn't know what we were having and the joy in his face. Like I've never seen like so much joy and happiness and fulfillment and just like it's like his whole world just started his whole life just began by looking at his little boy I didn't get that feeling I looked at Brett and was like I feel absolutely nothing to what you're feeling I was just exhausted yeah I was I, I, I was like a stunned mullet and they took 
Hunter and I was like, you go with Hunter and mum stayed with me and there's a crying baby and my legs are in stirrups, a big blue sheet over me. And I was just like, it kind of all just, I felt like I was watching a movie and I was in it at that point. But Hunter was fine. They were just checking his lungs and then they gave him to me and put him on me. And still then it just didn't feel real. And I think that has a lot to do with like, the environment that you're in, not the people, because the people were amazing, but the environment I was in and exhaustion. Yep. But yes, laboring posterior was the game changer in terms of how I was coping with the labor. And the thing that stands out to me the most about your story is it wasn't just labor pain anymore. It was actually physical pain because something had shifted. You know, it was yes. a pain that was beyond just normal contraction, laboring pain, which everyone says it's painful. This is like a dagger was in your back, like something was literally sticking into your spine. And that's yes, a different absolutely. whole level of pain to deal with than just laboring. And I think that was the thing that stood out to me as well about Lauren's birth. She, and because she'd had a posterior birth before, she was like on red hot alert for that sensation, which is for very that. different to your first She's like, he's moved, he's changed, I know he's changed, you've got to like check with this and I'm not going to keep pushing to be a hero and get prolapse, like get me hooked up, what's my options? And she like that whole awareness that like, no, this is not going to work, I'm okay with that, let's deal with this now. And I feel like that's what happened to you, you were like, something's not right, this is not okay, you know? You, You come to a point where you need help when things don't feel right and you know, I, I also think that there's a little bit of a stigma, not not so much. I don't think people mean to consciously do it, but I feel like people just need to take the badge of honor off of how they have the baby. For me, I don't really put a number on how long I labored for. I don't like put a number on how far I was dilated until I got my epidural. And I think that badge of honor needs to kind of come off because we all should be wearing that badge of honor together. You know, like whether you elect to have a C-section, whether you, you know, book your epidural in before you get to the hospital, whether you have a water birth with no drugs at all, no easy way to bring a baby into the world. But yeah, posterior, had I known a little bit more about it, the second that I felt that change, I would have like, asked for the epidural I would have had it in a birth plan I didn't believe in having in a having a birth plan due to the fact that I just don't ever like setting a standard or an expectation and that comes to with motherhood as well like I don't like to set expectations and then not meet them and then spend unnecessary time being disappointed in myself over something I couldn't help And I couldn't help that he was going to turn posterior. You know, people say you can do all these things to help it along the way. You can spend your time doing this and doing that and it can help with like not turning posterior. Great. Yeah, you can like have those tools up your sleeve, but sometimes things happen and then you can't change that and that's okay. That's what happened to me. And I put my hand up, asked for the epi and even after the epidural thing started going, like I couldn't plan that hit, there was meconium when my waters broke. I couldn't hand, like, you know, I couldn't help the fact that his heart rate would drop due to his position on me. And I just feel so grateful that like we live in a country 
where we have access to an incredible medical system and so many resources. You know, had that been years and years ago before there was intervention like there is now, I might have like bled out on the table and Hunter might have not survived, you know, like we're so lucky to be able to have so many incredible people to be able to bring our babies into this world. Absolutely. And I love that even in that whole turmoil and him literally being like a flipping circus act, it sounded like (laughs) the team around you was really good and it sounds as well like they were really respectful and made you quite involved in the process, which I think is what leaves you feeling good that someone didn't just boss you around the whole time and make you feel like crap and you have to do this and you have to do that. sounds like there was dialogue, like they were actually allowing you to make decisions as well. Absolutely. There was a lot of dialogue throughout. There was also like, they never made me feel like things were going as pear-shaped as they probably were. You kind of get the vibe in the room when, you know, there's two peds coming in to look look at the baby afterwards once you've had him. There's two OBs doing the faucet delivery. delivery. Then there's like assistant, then there was like a nurse, another midwife. Like there was a big team in there, but never once did they make me feel pressurized to do anything but they just that it's like their main goal was to make me feel safe so yeah which is actually in itself incredible because that's really often not people's experiences at all that Mm. have gone through the same thing as you which I think is what leaves women feeling more traumatized than the actual birth so yeah I I just think it's so good that you get to walk out of birth like that didn't go how I fully expected but I'm so glad people treated me like a decent human being, right? Dignity is the most important thing. 100%. And I was completely aware that things can go pear-shaped. I was not under any false pretenses that like I could end up having a cesarean. I could end up, you know, having forceps, episiotomy, all that kind of stuff. And I'd seen it on, you know, social media and online. But the thing that kind of, I guess, triggers me the most when I look back at it is the sterile environment, I was prepared for kind of things to, for either, you know, like I said, the forceps or the C-section, if it were to go that way. But I don't think I was prepared to look around and feel like I was in an environment that wasn't like, I suppose, beautiful. I know hospitals aren't beautiful, but all my like birth photos of Hunter is like me with my legs up delivering a baby in front of 10 different people. And I feel like that was, that took a lot away from the moment of him being put on me and not feeling anything. And I don't care about that because I fucking love him more than life itself now. And that's, you know, a beautiful thing. But yeah, it was more the environment that kind of triggered me more than the birth. Yes. And that environment is because they're trained and their whole purpose of their career is to make sure you're not in pain and make sure everybody's Mm -hmm. safe. Unfortunately, they're not there to decorate the place with flowers and put down a rug and make it feel like your wedding day so (laughs) that is what takes away the romance from meeting your child for the first time and probably can be the hard part with not having the perfect oozy romantic you know bath birth that everyone sees on social media I didn't get that necessarily either and I did not connect with my baby as soon as he came out the look and James takes this photo of me when I'm holding Hunter for the first time and I hate the photo because oh I know God. what I, was I have that photo too mm-hmm. in the moment and I'm really I get disappointed that when I looked at him I was like 
all I could think about in my head, and I think I just kept saying out loud, can someone just take him away? I need to put my pajamas on. I, I can't cope anymore. I just need to have a shower and put my pajamas on. And I couldn't do that because I had to do some stitches and I then had to get in that position that you were in. And it actually is really cold and it's hard pieces of metal up against your legs. And I think that part is then just like, get me out of here. I want to snuggle up in a ball and I want to go to sleep. I just want to be alone. And I wasn't expecting that. I thought I would have the baby on my skin dreamy-eyed, full of tears, and I wasn't. It took me three or four days to connect with my baby, and that is something I, I really the, wish someone told me. A hundred percent. That that's where I'm at with it all. Like I do, I remember all of those things: the hard metal, um, you know, pieces of metal under your legs, and not being able to put your legs down for a certain amount of time, and then just kind of like they clean you up, but you're still lying there in your own blood. The blood, oh, my God, no one talks about the blood. And then the the shower, just like there's so many little milestones, the first wee, the first poo that you have to cross. That was more all in my head than like mum zone. Yeah. It's like I've got some shit to do before I can like really be mum. Yeah. So that was was for me. I've got the photo – at home of the moment that like I went to water because that was like my connection with Hunter. And rather than looking back at the photos that they put him on my chest and I'm pretending to smile at the camera because, you know, that's what I need to do for my first photo with Hunter is smile. But I look like a stunned mullet. I have a photo of him at home where I remember looking at him and just bursting into tears because I was like, Oh my God, I love him so much. Um, And yeah, I hold on to that. I I think it's important to look back at the birth and reflect and and be proud of what you did and what you accomplished. But then it's also important to like move forward and hold on to to the things that really, you know, get your heart, heart pounding. I interviewed Ariel from Bliss Birth and she said everybody has their Bliss Birth moment. It just looks really different. It could be she had the, what's it called when you go into, she had ejectile, basically the baby just flew out. That was her bliss moment when she wow. felt that person. I forgot what it's called. I have it written down. Then if she's like, it might be when you have a C-section and the baby gets laid on your chest. It might be the first time you breastfeed. It might be when you take the baby home and you're all in bed as a family of three. Like everyone has a yeah. different bliss moment. It could be 10 seconds after birth or it could be five days after birth, you know? Yeah, it's like, exactly. It's unique. It is unique. There's a lot going on. (laughs) A lot going on. Hi, ladies. I hope you're enjoying this episode with the beautiful Beck from Peaches Pilates. I hope you're hearing her heart behind her birth and hearing how things don't always go how we plan, but it's honestly keeping a positive mindset, knowing that we're an absolute hero no matter what the outcome is, nurturing ourselves, looking after ourselves, honoring ourselves for the season that we're in and taking time to grieve and accept and process through what was and what can be. If any of today's episode has been triggering for you or is bringing up any unresolved feelings or anything that's just really triggering a point that's of sadness for you, please make sure you reach out to a family member or a friend or contact um, Beyond Blue or a hotline 
or even if you need some recommendations for some great counselors. I've done my own journey with counseling and I know an amazing arrangement of online telehealth counselors. Please reach out to get those references as well. I just want to make sure everyone's feeling emotionally safe and well after today. And also a lot of awareness around a birth is really different for everyone. So don't allow someone else's story to project onto you and what your outcome will be. Still going to your birth, practicing um, mindset and breathing, attending a birthing course, if that's what you'd like to do, you know, gathering the right people around you, talking to your birth partner, educating yourself, being aware of things, whatever it is that's going to help you feel confident in birth, do that and allow yourself to create and write your own birth story. I believe that's really important. I love people sharing their birth stories to create awareness and honor what they're going through and be really real so you can know that you're not in this alone and also to bring empowerment around what we're actually capable of. And even though Beck's birth did not go to plan, she's come out the other side side. She's an incredible mom. She's a business owner. She's taken time locally here in Sydney to heal herself. So we are beyond incredible as women. So I really, really want that message to get across from today. But let's get back into the rest of the conversation. Happy listening. And if you do believe this episode would be particularly impactful for anyone around you, just grab the link or screenshot it or send someone over to my Instagram at bellinbeyond underscore so we can create a large community of women for women, inspiring women. Okay, let's get back into the chats with Beck. Talk about your recovery. Now, this is the thing that I think people don't talk about enough with C-sections or tearing or episiotomies or forceps. I actually think the real hero is in the healing because that is something you're not expecting either. Like your healing journey after birth is so unique. Some people do get hemorrhoids or they're constipated or their butthole literally feel like it's been ripped apart. I had a mm-hmm. clot come out the size of my head and that <laughs> was like a part of my healing journey. I wasn't expecting. So expecting. tell us being such a passionate person about your body and your healing mm-hmm. and just, I feel like you're so good at rest. Tell us what it was like yeah. after all of this, how you just allowed yourself to be nurtured. So first things first, like I feel like with birth plans, I feel like so much goes into that. And I remember saying to myself, I nannied for three and a half years. I had really broad experience and like nannied, I had a, like a a five week old at one point, same family, that I was there full time. So I knew what was required in terms of like workload with babies and children and things like that. And I always said to myself, like, sure, you can have a birth plan, but the plan needs to be after baby, because that's when you're in it for the long haul. Birth comes and goes, you know, 24, 48 hours, eight hours, whatever it is. And it's important to plan for that. It's a very special moment in your life. But The long haul is afterwards. So the recovery for me was just not expecting too much of myself too soon. I had a lot going on. I remember lying in that hospital bed and needing to go to the toilet, feeling petrified. Actually, I had the catheter in, needing to get up to attend to Hunter. I was not prepared for the fact that being a strong woman who's always trained and who has fitness behind her, the fact that he was in a little bassinet beside the bed that the pain to get one foot and leg off the side of the bed then the other 
to just sit up and hold him was excruciating. I wasn't prepared for the fact that it could take me five minutes to get into a sitting position. Then once I was in a sitting position, I'm basically sitting on all of these stitches and a whole bunch of hemorrhoids I had no idea I had yet. I wasn't prepared for that. The blood wasn't prepared for that. Like I was changing a pad every half an hour. I had an episiotomy, so I had a lot of stitches down there. I also ended up from pushing for so long and that hour waiting for the epi, the hemorrhoids. I ended up calling them uh, the Hunter Valley because it was just like a vineyard of grapes that the hunter had created for me. Oh, no. (laughs) So it was just all about, for me, I just wanted to be home. I couldn't get out of the hospital quick enough. The hospital's really dated and I just wanted to feel clean in my own bathroom. So it didn't take me long to get home. And once I was home, it was all about just like putting my feet up, eating the food that so many people, including yourself, delivered uh, to me and just taking my time. I have a circle of really incredible mums that are my best friends that gave me so many tips, including like getting icy, um, what are they called? Zuper dupers and putting them in your pad and icing yourself. I would just like lay, I would get up and walk about. I, I get healing for me and resting for me is about doing the things that I love to do most. And it might sound crazy in terms of like getting up and going, but the next day, all I wanted to do was just go for a really light walk down to the bottom of the street and see the ocean. That's recovery to me because it means that I can heal knowing that I can still do something that has always helped my mind rest and always made me feel at ease. So it was just about taking baby steps and just setting the boundaries when it comes to visitors (laughs) because everybody's excited and that's a really beautiful thing, but it's a lot, you know, you've got to be on a visitor comes over and you've got to put this smile on. You're repeating your birth story so many times that it almost becomes irrelevant to you because you're just on, autopilot, but it was just about lowering my expectations of what I was now capable of doing. I couldn't lift things at the time because of the stitches. So just making sure that I wasn't being a hero and picking up the the capsule if I needed to. Brett was home, he could do it. Just about standing in the shower for as long as I wanted to. Brett was home and could hold Hunter. But five weeks postpartum I went and saw a physio and to to find out how everything was going. And I thought I was in a much better position than I was, but my pelvic floor was shot to shit. She rated it at about one and a half to two out of five. And my TA, my transversus abdominis lower abdominal area was so weak. And that's what I wasn't prepared for. And I promised myself that I would listen to Emma, my physio, and not do too much too soon, you know, because it's amazing that you can actually feel a lot better than you really are. I thought my pelvic floor was stronger. I thought my core was stronger and it wasn't. And I'm a Pilates instructor with great awareness of my body, but I still needed to seek help from a physio. And just because I was feeling good doesn't mean that I could return to doing the things that I once was able to do literally like seven weeks ago. So it was about pulling back that like, and that's okay. It's okay to like stop and not move forward. You know, she, she gave me a really great um, train of thought to think about when it comes to moving the body again and rebuilding what once was, is that 
post being postnatal um, and having a baby gives you a chance to reset your body. It's like pressing the reset button and starting again. And at first I was like, but I don't want to reset the body. Like I have, I've been training and, and looking after my body for so long. Now I've got a bloody start again. Um, but now I'm so excited to do that. You know, I'm taking baby steps still and I'm four months postpartum. Like I'm not, I see women who are two months postpartum. I'm teaching women who are two months postpartum who are doing more than I was able to. And I don't even care. I don't think about it. I don't think why, why are they able to do this? Why can't I be doing that? I should be able to be doing that. But no, my time will come and I'm just taking each day as it comes. And I think that's what recovery and being a mum is all about. Yeah. And I think it just reflects, it doesn't matter how you birthed, what the outcome was of your birth, how fit you were, how much you exercised. And I agree, you obviously are fitter and stronger in birth and you need a bit of strength and kick to be able to do what you do. But it just Mm -hmm. shows you like your favorite things is doing legs and booty and abs in Pilates. Like, Mm -hmm. but still you had to recover. And I just think it just, we're all the same. Like we're just all women. I just love the way Renee's like birth is like the most inflammatory thing that's ever happened to your body. Like Uh everything is swollen and expanded and the pressure that's on every part of your body. She's like, it doesn't matter what you do. You just need to freaking chill out and let it heal. The body heals itself. I obviously had a strong presence during my pregnancy with my workouts because of my job. I film workouts for a living and the amount of times people would be like, oh, you're going to power through labor. You're going to have like, you're going to be a machine. Like just because I was strong doesn't mean I wasn't going to take, like they were basically saying, because you are so strong and so fit throughout your pregnancy, your birth is going to be like this. You're not going to need to have drugs and you're going to bounce back so quickly. And people weren't meaning to be rude when they say it or give me a concept of what birth would be like for me and what being postpartum would be like. It's just how they thought it would be for me because what they see of me and it couldn't have been any different the birth was hectic I needed all the help that I could get and I'm still so far away from where I once was fitness wise and I'm not going to risk my body and my mental health to look a certain way to feel a certain way just because this time last year I was at peak fitness Yep, a hundred. And you saw me when I came back to Pilates after I had my hunter. I think I came back mm-hmm. one day a week at like fifteen weeks, and I didn't even mm-hmm. increase to two days for like a few months. And then I maybe increased another day a little bit after that. And I would say yeah. it's now for fourteen months nearly, and I'm only just starting to do all the ab workouts and kind of feel like I was before. I remember going in and like even just trying to get my brain to tell my inner core to like even turn on. I was like, it's not working. I was squeezing so hard. It wasn't working. My brain actually (laughs) had to like retrain my whole abdominals to listen. to. I could have took like nine months to even like try to flex anything. Like it's wild. It is wild. And then like people who do bounce back really quickly, like, also well done to them. Like everyone should just be giving themselves a pat on the back, regardless of where you're at. Like everybody's body is different. Every birth is different. Every recovery is different. Like there are no, there's no one size fits all, you know, when it comes to the recovery, I've got women that walk in the door six weeks postnatal and they're like, 
their bodies have, have healed so much in such a short amount of time. And I still strip back so much of what they need to be doing because six weeks ago, and that's our very bare minimum in the studio and online to start training again after physio clearance, like their bodies have just gone through the biggest change it's ever going to go through. And um, don't rush, don't rush, just enjoy, enjoy this like time in your life as well. You know, like when you focus, when you put too much pressure on yourself about coming back and bouncing back, or even the pressure on yourself of looking back at what you thought birth might have been or what your feeding experience is like, I do get a little, I sometimes get a little bit triggered when I think of like my birth, but I do really well at moving forward. Hunter now doesn't breastfeed because, you know, that didn't work out for us. And one of the promises I made to myself, and I didn't give my top tip at the beginning of the podcast, but I will now is to take the pressure off yourself and to not, don't set the bar too high, lower your expectations because you'll spend a lot of time if you set the bar so high being disappointed and you're going to miss out on really special moments with them. You know, people say all the time, the time goes so quickly. They're not little for long. And it does. It really does. And I promised myself if feeding didn't work out, I was not going to fight a battle and be miserable and upset and disappointed in myself when I could just be enjoying this kid by, you know, we've got access to formula. There's places in the world where women don't have access to that and would kill for it. I just enjoy being with them don't put pressure on yourself as to what kind of mother you should be what kind of like expectations you have on them and routines and and all that kind of stuff just just enjoy them (laughs) and you just got to find what works for you and follow your heart and as long as you feel comfortable in your decisions then I think that's what leads you to thrive as a mum, I think the mums that are struggling are the ones that often didn't follow what they thought was right or got persuaded by mm-hmm. other mums or did something else because someone else said to or a professional told them to and it didn't align with what they want. But I think when you just do what aligns with you and you feel good, you're just going to 100%. motherhood every day excited and like, what are we going to do today? Let's be together rather than all this junk in your head. It's okay that he had an extra nap today. Like he needed it, you know, some days are different. Um, Just because the book says that he should be having three naps and he had four, like that's okay. We're all going to live to see another day. And that's another thing. Like I put Hunter down at the night time and my mentality of that night is what will be, will be. Don't go to, I'm not going to bed being like, you know, he slept through last night, he's going to sleep through tonight or he had a shit fight of a day today. So we've got a shit fight of a night tonight. Like yeah. it's just, he goes in his bed and what will be, will be, we do not know. That is like, I reckon the biggest thing, hey, is just surrendering. So if you could tell your past self, any top tip before you went into this whole experience of birth and motherhood, what do you think you would have told yourself? I, I honestly think, I've done a really good job of telling myself everything beforehand. Um, Like I already told myself to lower expectations. It would probably be, I knew that freedom was going to change and I've always been quite a freedom lover. It was probably that being in the thick of it doesn't last as long as you think it's going to last. There were days like this where I'm like, oh shit, this is it. This is my life now. Because there's periods where 
they're going through something and transitioning and you're going through something and transitioning that you feel like the whole world is falling is actually, you feel like the whole world is continuing around you and you are just stuck in this hole of like emotions and tears and shit and vomit and someone like sucking the literal life out of you. And you think (laughs) that this is going to last forever. And I would tell myself that Beck, those moments don't last forever. They come and they go and they come back and then they go again. And there is always light at the end of the tunnel. And for some, it's days. The light is days away, weeks away, months away, years away. But um, there is light at the end of the tunnel. I can totally relate to that. I, my <laughs> one thing I wished I told myself was just be okay with what was happening and stop trying to be in the future because everyone kept saying to me, this too will pass. This too will pass. And I literally felt like they were lying to me. And that they were just saying that to make me feel better. And it wasn't passing. And I'd wait for the sun to rise every single morning. And I was like, when's the sun coming up? When's this day going to start? And now I look back and I'm like, Caitlin, it was bad. There was some bad days. But I'm like, you you could have just like been a bit more present and just gone with what was happening. Because now I look back and I'm like, one year from now, I can, I would have been in the newborn stage exactly one year from now. Yeah. And I was like, it's going to be okay, man. Just chill out. I know it's going to bring so much light and awareness and empowerment to other mums that may be listening, have had the same experience, have had a posterior baby. And it's just nice to be able to relate to someone that's been through what they've been through, or someone might be going into having their baby and they might feel this shift and go, do you know what? That could be my baby being posterior or be aware of it. So I know someone out there is going to get something out of this. So thank you so much for sharing. And I love seeing you around Marubra, just enjoying life and being a working biz owner, mom. And yeah, it's just been really cool to watch your journey and your recovery and the way you've looked after yourself. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Bell and Beyond. Mama, I know you're so busy and your time is precious. So I hope today's episode has left you feeling more empowered around your choices and that your voice matters. If you have loved this week's episode, make sure you subscribe and get all the weekly updates. It would also be so awesome if you could leave a five-star review for this independently run podcast produced by this mama herself. And if you've had all the feels today and a mum's popped into your mind, jump over, send her a DM or share it on your stories. That would be the absolute best. If you have any questions at all, connect with me over on my Instagram at bellyandbeyond underscore and let's write or rewrite your story of motherhood together.